sweet land of liberty, our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinock. Welcome back to Freedom's Ring, my friends. Perhaps the most critical First Amendment case, religious freedom case, the Supreme Court's going to hear this term, comes out of Montana and involves a tax credit program for private schools. I'm very happy to have as our guest today a law professor who has probably argued more religious freedom cases before the Supreme Court than than anybody certainly I know. Doug Laycock is a Robert E. Scott Distinguished Professor at the University of Virginia School of Law, and very happy to have you on Freedom's Ring, Doug. Happy to help out. So tell us about, first of all, the, the Montana Tax Credits Program and why it was struck down by the Montana Supreme Court. Well, it's a little bit complicated to explain, but it's a program the legislature enacted to give $150 as a charitable contribution to a private organization that awarded scholarships to students in private schools. And if you did, you would get $150 tax credit on your state income tax. So basically, the state would make contribution for you, but but it was all done through these private networks. The individual taxpayer had to decide who he wanted to contribute to, and then the scholarship organization would award the scholarship. And it included both religious private schools and secular private schools. So Montana and about 40 other states have clauses in their state constitution that says no public money to religious or sectarian schools. Some of them are more stringent than others. And the Supreme Court of Montana, this program violates that clause because some of these contributions will wind up going to religious private schools. And we can't separate the secular private schools from the religious, so they struck down the entire program for religious and secular schools alike under the state constitution. So there's a couple of things I want to do to put this in context. First is that the whole issue of government funding of religion really has been one of the core issues in First Amendment establishment clause from, you know, for decades, right? That government funding is not supposed to go directly for religion. Um, I mean, that's right, although you got to clarify what we mean by that. Uh, and the Supreme Court has changed the law there a lot over the last 30 years. Um, sure. And, so in and the and Founders' the time... Go ahead. In the Founders' time, uh, how to finance the church was the big issue of this establishment. But the programs they were talking about there went directly to the church itself. It was mostly to pay for the salary of the minister, and sometimes to pay for the construction or maintenance of the church building. And it was it went only to churches with a special program for churches and nobody else. And the programs we're talking about today, uh, these schools, even if they're religious, and even if they are seriously or deeply religious, they still teach the full secular curriculum, and they satisfy the compulsory education laws. And the Supreme Court over the last 30 years has said, if you treat the religious and the secular schools alike, and if you run the money through what they call true private choice, which means individual parents or individual donors get to choose the school, the state doesn't decide which schools get funded, then it's really aid to education and not aid to religion. 
Yeah. A lot of people are persuaded by that, but that's clearly the law now. And so as far as the federal constitution is concerned, there was no problem with this Montana program. It was it was entirely constitutional under the Supreme Court's current interpretation. Uh, but it violated so, the state constitution according to the Montana Supreme Court. And really, I think it's fair to characterize the last several decades of Supreme Court cases about government funding of religious schools as carving out exception after exception after exception to the the premise of a no-aid rule, and to the point where the no-aid rule isn't the rule anymore. Um, well, that's certainly one way to look at it. Um, you know, I'm not sure the no-aid rule was ever intended to apply to schools, but um, but in the 70s and the early 80s, uh, for the most part, it did apply to schools. Most forms of aid to religious schools were unconstitutional. There were a number of exceptions even then. Um, sure. And now the exceptions have swallowed the rule. Right? As long as you treat the religious and secular schools equally, there's really no limit on how much money a legislature can send into private schools, including religious schools. So back to the issue, we have what you know have come to be called these Blaine Amendments after the senator who inspired them back in the latter part of the 19th century. Uh, many states, I think you said 40 states, still have them as part of the, their own state constitutional efforts to respect the separation of church and state and to, to have separate spheres and not have government funding of, of religion and religious institutions. And now the issue is whether these are somehow discriminatory or violate, I mean, they're clearly part of state constitutions, but do they somehow violate the U.S. Constitution? That's the issue that the Supreme Court's going to consider. Is that right? That That's right. So one of the organizations that awards scholarships and some families who had hoped to get scholarships, I think, and maybe maybe some donors of scholarships, um, set a plaintiff's file a lawsuit saying it violates the federal free exercise clause to strike this down on the ground that it helps religious schools. Now, I mean, from the separationist perspective you were talking about a minute ago, this is sort of the world turned upside down, right? What used to be constitutionally forbidden, we're now arguing about whether it's constitutionally required. But be clear on what they claim is required. No one claims that the Montana legislature had to enact this program in the first place. But the claim is, um, once they enacted it, uh, it can't be struck down on the basis of a provision in the Montana Constitution that discriminates against religion. And the Montana provision, like most of the others, explicitly says no money to sectarian schools. It doesn't say anything about no money to secular schools. Uh, and so the claim is that these plaintiffs are making that provision in the Montana Constitution is discriminatory, discriminates against religion. The free exercise clause is now mostly about discrimination under Supreme Court interpretation. There's no federal establishment clause problem. so striking down the scholarship program is federally unconstitutional because the state decision was based on a discriminatory provision in the state constitution. And uh, is that the gist of the brief that you have filed? And you filed a brief, I should tell our listeners, you're an advocate in this case. Uh, I filed a friend of the court brief. I don't represent any of the parties. Um, And I wasn't the primary author, although I certainly had some input. And I'm happy to be held responsible for what we said in the brief. 
Um, so, I mean, there, there's sort of two steps here. One is um, the state officials and the defenders of the state court decision say, look, the discrimination has been cured. They struck the whole program down for religious and secular schools alike. Um, so it's just now it's just as if Montana hadn't enacted it in the first place, and there's no there's no remaining discrimination here to be fixed. Um, that's a pretty serious argument, and maybe a basis not for the court not to have heard this case in the first place. But they granted certiorari just how they decided to take a case. Um, they seem to have gotten past that. So I expect they're going to decide one way or the other uh, that the Montana provision is either constitutional or that it isn't. Um, and it does it does on its face discriminate against religion. It distinguishes private religious schools from private secular schools. Well, no and, one claims, you know, by the way, that that they can't distinguish private schools from public schools. But once they start to fund in the private school sector, the argument is they have to treat religious and secular alike. So historically, the Establishment Clause was looked at as a protection for religious freedom by protecting the autonomy of religious institutions and not entangling religious institutions with the state. And of course, funding is one of those mechanisms of entanglement because whatever the state or the federal government funds, they have a right to know how the funds are being used, to audit, to you know, supervise, et cetera, to put conditions, strings, if you will, on the use of those funds. And so the the kind of lack of funding was part of the structure of what I would call a healthy separation of church and state. And so now that whole framework is being described as just illegal discrimination against religion, such that religious institutions like schools will be fully eligible for whatever kinds of programs the state determines. Is that a yeah, fair I, characterization? I, yeah, I think that's right. There there are a lot of arguments over the years for why the government shouldn't fund churches in particular, and, and then those arguments got extended to why uh, the government shouldn't fund religious schools. Um, to some extent, they got extended to why the government shouldn't fund religious social services, but the argument has mostly been about schools. Um, and and no one claims that the government should be funding the religious functions of the church itself. But the fight has been about schools that provide both secular and religious education in the same program and in the same building. And, and absolutely, one of the arguments against funding has been that the more the government funds, the more the government will try to control. Now, in a lot of states, private education is heavily regulated anyway, even without funding, and the Supreme Court is not willing to provide much protection against that. Uh, and some of the people who are arguing for funding say, look, more regulation is a risk, but it's not as big a risk as um, being in a culture war with the other side entirely funded by the government and our side struggling to figure out how paying the taxes for the public schools and then trying to figure out how to finance our own schools in addition. Um, yeah, I'm not sure how the policy argument about what's best mm -hmm. for the public or what's best for the churches, I'm not sure how that all plays out. And and certainly, you know, as I said, the state will always fund the public schools and doesn't have to fund the private schools at all. Uh, but discrimination within the private sector is more troubling. At least and, and I would point out to our listeners, um, this, there's a subtle but important difference 
between a voucher program, which we did a, a show about a Maryland case involving a voucher program where the funds go directly to the school. And this is a tax credit type of program where the state is not directly funding. Um, and so arguably, this kind of program has far less potential for uh, strings to be attached and, and requirements put on the schools. Voucher programs typically have uh, generic non-discrimination requirements that most religious schools really don't comply with because they do discriminate in favor of hiring uh, faculty and staff who share the faith of the sponsoring religion. Uh, well, that, that's, a, it, you know, that's an important point. You know, I think you know, the Montana legislature could attach those kinds of conditions and say, you know, you don't get the tax credit if your contribution winds up going to a school that doesn't comply with all these rules and regulations. But I think you're right, they're much less likely to do that, right? Because there are, there are another couple of steps removed from the school that gets the money, and, and the only place it shows up is on the individual donor's tax return. And so I think, I think you're right, the legislature is much less likely to attach regulations to a program like this. Well, we're out of time. This case is going to get more attention, and we'll have to revisit it here at Freedom's Ring. I want to thank my guest, Professor Doug Laycock, for a very stimulating discussion about a very important case. Doug, uh, thanks, and I hope we get to do it again. Yeah, good to talk to you again. And as we close, remember at Freedom's Ring, we don't just talk about religious freedom. We help workers, especially, suffering religious discrimination. Check out our legal resources page at churchstate.org. Don't forget, friends, freedom is not free. Be informed. Get involved. Be sure to listen to Freedom's Ring on our SoundCloud radio station or on iTunes. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Rodock. Until next week, let freedom ring.